you that are part of this local fellowship, you know that um, not only do we not practice, but we don't allow manipulation in any form, uh, whether it's for us or for others. I just want to make you aware of need that we have uh, coming into this year. Of course, you know, with all the, the last year and its challenges, you know, we had half the people, the same amount of responsibilities, half the workers, half the, the servers with the same amount of ministries. And we have several um, maintenance-type bills that are many thousands of dollars. And let me tell you what your pastor doesn't do. I'm not going to sit in here and tell you to go to Psalm 77.7 and give $7 every seven minutes to get seven blessings on every seventh Tuesday and all, all that foolishness. I'm not going to tell you how many people need to give what amount. Um, I'm going to treat you like I like to be treated. To update our 16-year-old cameras who can't light up now and to do the necessary thing we need to do and to fix our roof next door, we need about $60,000. Okay. But that's it. I believe that that amount is in this room. And you do not give because of need. We don't give uh, for promised reward. The Bible says we give as we purpose in our heart. And if you feel, you know, you say, I want to be part of that. I want to, that money we had set aside or, or that stimulus check that came or is coming or may not come or, or whatever. Lord, I give that to you freely. Listen to me very carefully. Don't you give to Christ Chapel. Don't you give because John Wood said we need you. No, it is a need. God has always took care of every need in this house. But something like that, I just want to mention it to you that that's there. And God, there will always be enough. Always has been. I'm 26 years in. Always has been. So I'm grateful to him. Well, if the Lord allows, this is the last in our series on the book of Ruth. I trust that you have not only enjoyed it, but that you've seen Christ, his story, the story of uh, Israel, Naomi, that leaves, the, leaves God, the bringing in of Ruth, which is the Gentiles, into God, the restoration of Israel, bringing both Jew and Gentile together into one new man, fulfilling God's plan of reconciling the world to himself. I trust that you see it individually for you. In the last 11 weeks, we talked about kingship. We spoke of a man named Elimelech, whose name meant God is my king. And we talked about the, the problem of having a name that you don't live up to. And being called something that you are not. When you name the name of Jesus and you call yourself Christian, that means little Christ, that I am bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. And although I am not perfect, I have perfection residing in me. And there ought to be a, a striving to be like him and to bring honor to him and to bring glory to him in our life. Part two, we spoke about bitterness. Bitterness is the cancer of the soul. It withers everything and eventually destroys everything that it touches. Bitterness comes to every life, but you do not have to allow it to take root. And we watched what happened to Naomi. And one of the telltale signs of bitterness is you start to not only blame the, the people and the circumstances, but the God that could have prevented it. We talked about home. 
where uh, Elimelech and Naomi left the house of bread because there was a famine. And they left to satisfy temporal needs. They sacrificed spiritual blessings. And we talked that there's no place like home. And we made the decision that I would rather be hungry in Bethlehem than satiated, satiated in Moab, full in Moab. We talked about faith. Our faith must not be this generic faith that the world talks about and all of us are children of God and all of us have faith. No, our faith must be born of the Word of God. It must be personal, exclusive, and transformational. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Any other faith not based on the Scriptures is bastard faith. It's illegitimate faith. You may have faith, but it is, is it saving faith? Is it divine faith? We spoke of grace, intentional, abundant, unmerited, and sufficient. We spoke of the way, being in the way. Not in the way, but in the way. And living in God's will. This will is predetermined. It's provisional and preservational. We spoke of the kinsman, the one who was unwilling and unable to redeem us. And the one who was sufficient. The one who was not only willing and able, but powerful enough to make the transaction complete. We spoke of workings, part one and two. We spoke of nothing just happening. Everything's connected. Visible and invisible. Natural and supernatural. We spoke about the covering where Ruth came into Boaz's chambers and she said, cover me with your skirts. Do for me what I can't do for myself. I got bathed, but I can't make myself clean. I got dressed up, but I can't wear Israel's clothes. I, I've put on ointment, but the, the, the stench of my paganism is still there. Do for me what I can't do for myself. Give me your name. Cover me. And Boaz brought her into the family of God, the people of God, the natural people of God through redemption. And there's a beautiful type where he said, not only am I buying Elimelech and all of his land and bills, his past and present, his future, but I'm also purchasing Naomi for my, I mean, Ruth for my wife. We were purchased not just as a possession, but for intimacy. To know the Lord and be known by the Lord. To enjoy the Lord and feel enjoyed by the Lord. Here's you about the, something that will humble you. To serve and be served by the Lord. Where he girds a towel and washes your feet and restores you. I wouldn't have a faith. I wouldn't want a redemption that didn't have intimacy in it. It's not enough to know of God. Do you know him? Do you enjoy him? Do you practice his presence? And then last week we spoke about restoration. It is a recreation, if you will, of God's will, intentions, and purposes in your life and pleasures in your life. I would tell you that for every season of great loss in your life, there is a cooperative season of some sort of restoration. Beauty for ashes. The oil of gladness for mourning. Did you know that God makes every day out of the night that came before it? People start with day. We think day and then night. But in Genesis it said, and the evening and the morning was the first day. 
And the evening and the morning was the second day. God makes His days out of yesterday's nights. And I have learned, don't build a doctrine over this, I'm just telling you my experience. I've learned that the brightness of the day is in direct correlation to the darkness of the night that preceded it. Don't tell me I've lived it. I've, I've lived it. It's where like the darkness of a certain season is like a slingshot and it keeps getting darker and darker and darker and darker and darker. And then one day God says, let it go. And he lets go. And then it goes bright, 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 bright. How can you say that? Because if, if I was reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more am I going to be saved by his life? How much more? You know what's missing in the church? Divine expectation. It's dark, weeping endureth, but joy cometh. Spring always comes. All right, all you skinny people, I got to talk to you, man. I got to talk. I, I, I'm just, just quit. It's so, it's so cold. Us big people have sweat. We have sweated for months and months and months and months. This is our season. When we crack the window in the car. It's our season, baby. You didn't see us in the wife beater tank top sitting there at the breakfast table with sweat coming all in the grits, just dying while you, ooh, it's beautiful. And we just, just roasting. This is our season. Ice is everywhere. Ice is on your cars. You can warm your car up. Wear a coat. But I want to be cute. Wear a coat. But my brown coat. Wear a coat, people. What are you saying, Pastor John? Well, I was getting there. I'm just loosening you up a little, a little funny. But it is true. It is true. This ain't cold, y'all. This is just not hot. <laughs> but when, when winter settles in, my buddy Al is in Maine. He sent me pictures. They can't even get up and down the driveway. I mean, just, you know, feet of snow. Like step out and lose a dog, you know, off the front porch. <laughs> you know, muffin, mu muffin, gone. Muff you ain't even find muffin. You might find a great name, but Muffin's gone. Uh, get another dog. If you can scratch a dog with one finger, you need another dog anyway, you know. Yeah. You got to be able to both hands scratch a dog. Pastor John, what are you saying? I'm saying that every winter says the same thing. It freezes over. The lakes are ice. I'll talk about it in the north. Uh, you can't see the trees. You can't see the ground. It mocks springtime. And said, this is it. We own the day. Spring always comes. And everything that you've lost, listen, has some kind of restoration attached to it. Some kind. Okay. So that gets us to today. Well, Pastor John, what if, if you're done, what are we doing today? Add-ons. That's your word, number 12. Not too spiritual, but it's, I tried. I looked for a spiritual word, and I couldn't really find one. But the content is spiritual. And what I do, I want to cover three things that I didn't mention in the series and then reiterate one for you. Add-ons that will seal up the book of Ruth, and then we're going to go on to the days ahead, uh, preparing us for this coming year. And... Um, all right, here we go. Number one, if you're taking notes, this is a culmination from the book of Ruth. 
just pulling a few things out. Number one, every departure from God comes with its own particulars. Elimelech and Naomi left Bethlehem. You remember? The house of bread didn't have any bread, so they left. They felt like God wasn't keeping his end of the bargain. Every departure from God has its own particulars. It has its own day of conception. See, I can't leave God unless I've considered leaving God. Your feet cannot go where your eyes are not looking. And you will not choose a destination that you have not considered before. Every departure has its own conception. Reasons. Well, there's no bread here. I gotta. How many times in the last 30 years of ministry have I had someone tell me, well, because of so, 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 and so, I have to survive. Do you? I'm not being funny. Do you? Well, Pastor John, we shacked up because, you know, we can't really afford the two rents. We just figure if we save money, you know, there's not enough money to, there isn't. Did you know you can rationalize away every behavior that violates God's word and your conscience? I told one young couple, said, we're just living together till we get married because after all, you know, we're already married in God's sight. I said, no, you ain't. I'm looking at catfish next to her. I said, no, you're not. Well, what we're doing is saving money so that we can owe no man nothing. And they're using scripture, you know, and I said, well, how about this? So you can't afford to live separate uh, 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 till you get married. No, no. How'd you date before you moved in together? Or, uh, or, or I said, I, I know what it is. You are not willing to pay the financial cost to live above reproach. Usually people counsel with me about once, twice, and, you know, it's not my gift. I may be accused of a lot of things, but to my knowledge, I've never lied to one person so that they'd like me. Know this, every departure has its reasons, and you can only justify those reasons to other fools. Well, the Lord knows your heart. That's the scariest thing you can tell somebody. When people say it glibly, I know they're completely out of context. Well, the Lord knows my heart. Yes, he does. Every departure has its own departure date. And did you know the prodigal left the father's house long before he left? Every departure has its own temporal confirmations. See how much more money we have? It's working. You see? And the devil will make sure that there's always a boat down at Joppa for you to leave uh, uh, God's plan for you to go to Nineveh. There'll always be some kind of, listen, temporal confirmation that your carnality is correct, but not a scriptural one. There'll be temporal pleasures and payouts. I've never, and I'll just stick with the shacked up couple so, so we won't be confused. Uh, we just, it just feels so right. What's feelings got to, your feelings have lied to you so many times. You know that person you just knew in high school, they're the one. I know it. Oh, 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 I feel, oh, 
Look, they're the one. I had a vision. Two dreams and a prophecy. They're the one. And something happened. It didn't work out. And you see them at the 20-year reunion. You, oh, thank you, Jesus, that I was wrong. Thank you, Lord. There's people in this room like, mm, I know that was me. Yeah. Every departure has its own journey. Listen, every departure from God has its own distance. And every departure has its own destination. When you walk away from God, know this. You'll stay longer than you planned and you'll go further than you planned. Know this. That what you're running from is not the problem. It wasn't the famine that killed Naomi's boys and her husband. It was Moab that killed them. Do you understand they left hungry, found bread, and died full. Don't satisfy temporal urges and longings, allowed or unallowed, outside of God's will. Decide that you would rather be hungry in the land with God than full outside of His will. And you know what the name of her departure was? Headstones. I've, listen, this is me shepherding you. I've not arrived. I have to shepherd myself and then shepherd you. I've watched this. I'm telling you uh, in the same way someone that works with tools says, be careful with that tool. I watched a man's finger just fly out. Be careful with that tool. I'm telling you, I've watched this. I've watched people leave God's will and then headstones be their, their theme. I've watched people leave and loneliness become their theme. Physical uh, suffering, mental anguish, regret. Oh my God. If I, I, if I could show you a video, a running video of all the people that I've talked to over the years that would come to you and said, just don't leave the Lord. Whatever you do, don't leave the Regret is a cruel taskmaster. And yes, God will always take back the repentant, but those years are gone. Those people are buried. Those things happen. If you're going to have a departure from God, may your theme be short-lived. Wake up. Wake yourself up and go, what's wrong with me? In my father's house, the servants have bread enough to spare, and here I am dying with hunger. I will arise and go back to my father, and I will say I have sinned before heaven and before your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me hired help. I just want to come home. Go home before your life develops a departure theme. Every departure has its own costs and the marks it leaves, leaves upon us. Every departure, listen to your pastor this morning, has scars. Every departure with any time attached to it has a scar, a mental scar, a physical scar. But I have found that many of those things that wound us were the grace of God to wake us. We might have a scar from where we've been. That's just to remind us we don't want to do that no more. Let me tell you one of my, an earthly example of a spiritual reality, okay? Scars remind you, that was stupid. 
This hand, Mark, this hand, it's good to see you and Joanne, by the way. This hand has a scar that runs from this finger up to this first finger. As a little boy, I played Frisbee with a pork and bean lid. I was sharp. My mama was very proud of me. <laughs> Big pork and bean lids, like Red Rover, Red Rover, send the Arby's roast machine, roast beef machine right over, you know. And wisdom was born <laughs> when I pulled that thing out and my hand flopped all the way back. I ran into my house. I go, Mama! She goes, oh, she faints. Like, Not a lot of help. I go to the neighbors. Neighbor! Oh, God, we got to get you to the hospital. Where's your mama? She's dead. She's, you know. They wrapped my hand up. Oh, man, they had to tie me down, shots, a gas, elephant shots, you know. I was coming up out of the chair. I was exorcist, you know, levitating, hey, sticking needles in there. I'm like, do you see my hand flopping back? I remember as a little kid, it was very traumatic. And then all those stitches in it, you can't use it for a long time. Now it's just a scar. Now, it don't hurt anymore, but I can look at that and go, I'm not going to do that no more. Now, see, you're laughing. Now, I want you to get into this story with me. I'm good. I see a kid with a lid. It ain't got to be pork and beans. It ain't that I got anything against pork and bean lids. I don't like lids. <laughs> pork and beans, dog food, cat food, green beans, whole kernel corn. Lids. Are like, hey, put that down. Watch. That'll cut your hand off. That'll cut your hand off. And in this last hour, listen. The devil cannot steal your soul, but if he can leave you with a few scars, he's going to try to woo you away from God's will for your life. It's okay if we're hungry. It's okay if we're suffering. It's okay if we're confused for a moment. And it's okay if we don't have the answers. Don't leave the house of bread. That's good. That's good shepherding. And that ties into my last little sub-point. Every departure has its own motivation to go back home. You know, like, I was thinking, I need to get out of here. I ain't got but one hand left. I, I need to get back home. All right, number two. Shift of gears, change of thought. These are add-ons. Add-on number two, addendum. In the worst of times, God will get his word to you. In the worst of times, God will get his word to you. And write this down if you're taking notes. Words about him or from him. Others will talk about him. Songs about him. Books you will read about him. Someone will say something or words from him. Naomi had heard that God had visited his people with bread again. She heard... In Moab, as far away as she was from God, here's how gracious my God is, Bob. He was letting words get to her. We're full back home, which gets to thinking, should I go back home? Why did I leave? All those things. God will get word to you. Regardless of the condition of your heart, regardless of how many people left with you, regardless of how long you've been gone and what you've lost, God is so gracious that he always gets word to the wayward. He always gets word to the wayward. 
I forgot where the book came from, but, you know, I've shared my life story with you many times. I was born again when I was a little boy. I had a call of God on my life. I knew it. But when my dad died, I ventured far, far away. That was it for me. I was angry with God, and I left as a little boy and did not come back until my mid-20s. But someone put a book in my hand by authors that I wouldn't even recommend. You know, kind of out there in Wingdinger land, you know. Just, you know, three french fries short of a happy meal kind of thing. But God can use anything. See, he knows how we're wired. And it was a book on angels. I didn't want to hear my sin, but somehow this book got in my hand. And I stayed up at night reading that. And do you know what I heard out of the book? Was it something about angels? No. I know where you are, John. And where you are is not where you're supposed to be. I've never given your seat away at the table. Your room is just like you left. That kind of thing. Word got to Naomi. And if you have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church... That includes those that are away from God who still belong. God gets word to the wayward. You'll hear about the works and workings of God. The wayward Christian will see the friend who's doing so well and fruitful. And there's bread to spare. They'll see the miracle of restoration in a home. They'll hear about the healing of a nephew. Words will get back to them that God is working. Watch. In everywhere but my life. And they'll see, see, it's important for you to live a vibrant Christian life. It doesn't have to be perfect. So that others who are away, who are away from God, who aren't experiencing the workings because of their distance, can see that God still works. And that God is still alive. And that there are those, excuse me, who are still content with Him and seeing His hand. You will hear of the faithfulness of God. You will hear from God in unmistakable ways. Unexpected and unmistakable ways. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is Saul on the Damascus Road. And suddenly a light blinded him from heaven. Knocked him off his donkey. Blinded him. Burned his retinas up. Just, just blinded him. Knocked him off the donkey and began speaking to him. The Bible said that Saul said, and I heard in a Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you persecuted. And there's one little phrase that stood out to me in this passage that's so unique and applicable for where we are today. He said, and I heard in the Hebrew tongue. Why did God speak in a Hebrew tongue? Because Saul was a... And God will speak to you in familiar ways, in historical ways, in unmistakable ways where this little boy in his 20, early 20s would fold that book by himself at night in a one-bedroom apartment and know that God was talking to me. You will hear him in systematic and timely ways. In his grace, if you're hard-headed, you'll hear from him in repetitive ways. Oh, y'all chuckled at that one. How many times do I have to tell you? I ain't going to tell you again. There is the possibility that God can withdraw and leave you to yourself. Being turned over to the devil is not your greatest fear. Being turned over to yourself is. Hearken 
If you still hear his voice and he's talking to you about a thing or a person or a habit or a bondage or something that he just wants gone, someone that he wants gone, hearken to his voice while he still speaks. And be careful. This isn't in my notes, so I trust it's the Holy Spirit. Be careful of making allowances today for what you told others yesterday you knew wasn't God's will. Like God's neurotic and he changed his mind. Or God's, God's woke now, you know, he's enlightened. And he, he now sees that you can just, man can get with a man, woman can get with a woman. You can have your mistress, you can do what, you know. God understands. No, he changeth not. He changeth not. Number three. Every life knows its own sorrows. When I say these kind of things that I'm about to share with you, some people think I'm being morbid and I'm not. I'm trying to prepare you and speak to you from experience. Many people who are not knocked out by temptation are knocked wayward by sorrows. Naomi, it wasn't her departure. It was the burying of her husband and two kids. The departure made that possible, but the bitterness crept in. Sorrow, sorrow can do two things primarily. It can push you away from God or push you towards God. And every life, if you live long enough, is going to have its share of sorrows. Sorrows that other people can share with you and others that you only can endure by yourself. You will have sorrows if you live long enough that you cannot articulate. You will have sorrows that can be so painful that when someone close to you says, I'm so sorry, I understand, you resent them although you love them. You can have sorrows. You know how you can burn your tongue with hot chocolate and you can't taste or burn the end of your fingers? You can have sorrow that's so hot that it burns your feelers and you don't have capacity for joy anymore. And what you do with those sorrows is critical. True sorrow sheds hot tears. And I have learned that if I'm going to cry, I should cry unto God instead of to the ground. Because if I'm crying unto God, I have a witness. If I cry unto God, I have an expectation. How can you say that? Because he bottles my tears. If I cry unto God, I have a hope that if he can read my tears, he can answer the cry of my heart, even though it wasn't articulated. How does a woman bury her babies? Husband, wife, bury her husband. Our, the sorrow of personal failure and the failure of others. There are people in this room by odds that your biggest hang up is, even if it's righteous sorrow, you won't forgive yourself for what God has forgiven you of. 
the regret and sorrow of it. You wear the sorrow as nobility, when in fact it's unbelief. Once I have sorrowed a godly repentance, true sorrow for it, I then receive the grace of God for my life. And the evidence of my forgiveness is not the absence of sorrow, but not in letting it rule and dominate my life because I believe that his sufferings were sufficient. And I don't have to add my sorrow to it to fill up the cup of, of, of suffering. Shattered dreams and broken promises. Those we buried and those who by their cruelty tried to bury us. Sorrows. And then on her way back home, you know, she's bitter. She's a widow, which now you, you need to understand that in that day, it would be like if you were on every corporate blackball to be a widow. First of all, in that day, women outside of making their own goods, there was no employment, there was no recognition, there was no benefits. They were second-class citizens in most of the civilizations during biblical times. And a widow, all the strikes were against her. And to top it off, she's leaving to go back home, and the only thing, listen, listen pay, just stay with me. The only thing she had in the world was two daughter-in-laws. And one turned back. I got two people left in the world. And she was saying in her own bitterness, you know, you can tell her heart wasn't right. She goes, you know, you can't wait for me if I was to find a man to have a baby, raise the baby up. Can you imagine waiting 18 years? Like, he ain't turning out too good. You know, he's not real handsome. Uh, waiting 18 years. She goes, I don't want you to do that. Go back to your home and your God's. It was, that's the condition of her heart. It was horrible. But Naomi said, uh, uh, Naomi said that to Ruth and Orpah. And Orpah says, okay. Kissed her and walked away. What do you do when the people you thought would be with you forever kiss you on the cheek and walk away? Now, I'm not talking about just friends on Facebook. I'm not talking about, you know, that's just like the tide coming in and out. Don't, don't worry about that. Great day in the morning. And you need to give some people some grace that were real close to you. You're trying to make them live in chapters that God didn't write them into your life. Yeah, yeah, certain chapters. But when your spouse walks out, or your babies walk out, or your parents walk out, that's hard. Every life has its own sorrow, but you don't have to be known by the sorrow. Please write that down. Every life knows its own sorrow. You've got, but you've got to be more than that. I'm more than a scar on my left hand, do you see? I'm not who walked out. I am who came in. I am housing the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Bitterness is a process. It has roots, which means it takes time to grow it. You know when it's happening. Stop it. And don't sip the narcotic of pity. Self-pity or the pity of others. 
because it will intoxicate you and you'll be known by their greeting. How are you? If I ever did one thing right in my life as a man, as a husband, during the dark years of, of relationship, difficulty, and tragedy, I would not sip that cup. I said, I do not feel sorry for Pray for me. For the love of God, pray for me. Stand with me. Encourage me. Even give me correction if I need me. But don't feel sorry for me. Just encourage me. Tell me I'm going to make it. Tell me you're going to love me. Because that, you're talking about addiction? You think heroin or, or coke or, or cigarettes or alcohol is an addiction? Try pity. Because you become the object of every conversation. Oh, here he comes. How are you? Pastor, how are you? Every life has its own sorrow. And did you know your sorrows are common? That makes me mad. I know it does, but it's common. Ain't the first person somebody's spouse left. Not the first person that's battled with sickness. It doesn't mean that it's not important. It means that it's common, which means I can keep it in perspective. And I don't view that my sorrow, you know, there's all, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. I can prove to you our hypocrisy because only three of you laughed at that. I can prove to you how many of you in the last two years got poison ivy, poison sumac, poison oak, something like that? You didn't care nothing about nobody that had no poison ivy. Like, just put some calamine on it, shut your mouth. You got it. Lord, it's crawling up every arm. I can't sleep. I can't eat. You got ace bandage wrapped around you, a pink ghost walking around, calamine down. When you got it. This stuff is real. This year, poison ivy is going crazy. It's taking over the world. That's how, that's how we act. And see, when we pull the cover back and show us how we act, we think that our sorrow is the paramount sorrow. Me and Kelly say, you're the more. If she got a headache and I say, yeah, but I took three excedrins. She'll go, you're the more. Do you know how much health would flood into your home, your life, your marriage, and your mind when you understand and decide, I don't want to be the more. Every life has its own set of sorrows. I just want to make sure that I'm there for people in theirs. And if they're drinking pity, be the friend that takes the cup and say, you don't want that. Instead of that, let's pray and give thanks to God. Do you understand it's midnight? Do you understand we're in prison? Do you see the open lashes on my back? Do you see the bruises on my face? My eyes are swollen shut from crying. Yeah, but God is listening. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God. And the room began to shake. And the chains broke off of them. The miracle to me was not in the earthquake and the broken foundation and the chains falling off. The issue was they didn't run out. Now, if you'd been in prison and you had been beat up, me and you, and the chains fall off, pew, whoosh, gone. Smoke inhalation off the shoes. People are just falling out. Why didn't they run out? I think they would tell you this. Why would you want to leave a room where God is? And the foundation of that prison was broken. Let me tell you something about the person who wipes tears with one hand and praises with the other. The foundation of the prison, when God breaks it, 
I'm not an architect. I'm not a carpenter. I don't know anything about any of that stuff. But I know when the foundation of something is shattered, you don't have to go in that prison no more. Do you hear that? You heard it, didn't you? It's broken, gone. And sometimes God waits to bring the earthquake, not so we can get out, but we can stay out. Because that prison won't house us anymore. Brooke, if you'd come up, please. Don't let the bitterness, the roots go down. One last little sub point on number three. Sorrow can turn a distant and unwilling face toward God. Sorrow can turn a distant and unwilling face toward God. I believe that's what pushed Naomi. More than hearing about bread, although that was part of it, she was like, ain't ain't nothing happening here. And that sorrow, that emptiness drove her back to God. And finally, to me, it's the theme of the book of Ruth that I want to emphasize for us as a people. Everything is connected. Everything in your life is connected. The good and the bad. The evil and the righteous. The explainable and the unexplainable. The known and the unknown. Your history and your future. People you've met and people you've not met. How you were wired in your mother's womb and how you've been unwired through people. Everything is connected. And God has the final say. Romans 8 says this, And we know, not think, not hope, not are praying towards, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. All things, not some things, not most things, not many things, not certain things. Everything, all things are in his hands and he is working, are working. All things are working. Now, currently, actively, effectively, definitely, accurately, precisely, and perfectly working. God is working. He that began a good work in you will perform it. Work it. Till the day of Jesus Christ. We're so busy trying to write comfort and satisfaction into our story that we're missing the workings of God. You may not understand. I may preach this for 20 years and you not get it. The joy of having children from me that makes me the more over you. That was a joke makes me the more is I'm sterile so he takes the missing thing the insufficient thing the incapable thing the non-existent thing to work the more you see you see it's those that the doctor said you're not going to live that are here today When they sing about Jehovah Rapha, the healer. You see? All things work together. We are so busy trying to keep the bad things at bay that we're missing out on the glory of Him weaving that thread through the tapestry of our life. No one wants bad things, but all things work. 
work together in harmony, in unison, independently, and interdependently. Every life, God's working. And the greater restoration is to come. You need to hear this. I told you that there's restoration for every life. But not completely. Not all that's lost. Our great restoration is in the resurrection. That's why Paul said, if, it, if in this life only I have hope, I'm of all people most miserable. But there's a day coming when God's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. Neither will there be sorrow, nor crying, nor pain. The former things are passed away. And in one cosmic pulse, he said, I make everything new. And we are changed forever. It says it for the love for those, the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For those who love God. Everything's connected. So God is doing invisible things with invisible people, pieces to unwitting people, unknowing people in hidden ways to produce desired and unforeseen outcomes. Remember where I told you that scripture and God, uh, that uh, God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask or think according to the power that worketh in you. According, in accordance with the power that's already working in you. So if I've dreamt it, that can't be it. Above all you can ask or think. So if I were to write my script, God said, I can do better than that. Faith takes the pen of your hopes and dreams and says, you write over my life. You pick. Because if you can do for Naomi what you did, and you can bring Ruth out of the pagan worship in Moab and make her the great, great grandmother of King David, who was also the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. Take the pen. Summarize this series with this phrase. Take the pen from my life and write on. Write on, Lord Jesus. Write on. Here. Take it. Take it. I'm going to ask them to play one song for us. Just bow your heads. Uh, God orchestrates things to me. I'm, I'm just so simple. Kelly played a song in the car this morning from years and years ago. She said, I want to play this for you. And I heard it and I said, that summarizes our series. That's just perfect. And the Lord has to use flashcards like that for me, so I get it. So guys, if you'll just cue this. And I just ask you just to bow your heads and when the words resonate in your heart, just say, yes, Lord, to him. You know, me, God, yes. Shut
Y'all stand with me this morning. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you all.